we hope that you and your family had a great Christmas. Hopefully you had a great time spending Christmas with people that you love. And it's great to have you here at Grace in the Medina East Campus. And like Clark mentioned just a moment ago, if you are a guest with us here today at Grace, or if maybe this is the first time that you've been back in a while, just want to extend a very, very special welcome to you. My name is Tony, one of the pastors here on staff at Grace. And I really think if you are newer to Grace, you came on an awesome, awesome, awesome weekend. And the reason for that is because this weekend we are beginning a brand new series that we are calling Jesus Come and See. And uh, we oftentimes say here at Grace that a new series is often the best opportunity to kind of get connected to Grace Church. And so the reason for that is because the way we do things here at Grace is we basically do one things one series at a time. And for us, a sermon series is kind of like one big conversation that is stretched out over the course of several weeks. And so you came on an awesome weekend because you were joining us at the very, very beginning of a conversation that we're starting. And so I just want to tell you that if you're newer to Grace, if you're kind of investigating Grace Church, trying to figure out if this is the place for you, or maybe you're investigating church in general, or maybe you're investigating Jesus, that whole thing, I'm so glad you're, you're with us because um, this is a great opportunity for you to be here. And I want to encourage you and would even challenge you that if you are a guest to maybe lock in for the duration of this whole series. And that would give uh, you a chance, hopefully, to get to know us a little bit. That would also give us a chance to get to know you, which we would love to do. And uh, I think more than anything, hopefully, it'll give you a chance to get to know Jesus, which is the whole reason that we exist. And we're all, we're all here together. So it's exciting. But today, beginning this series, and so we are going to kind of start this whole thing off with a little bit of an introduction. And so this week, I want to introduce to you a little bit of where we're going in this series, kind of what the big idea is, and what we're going to be talking about for the next several weeks. And so I thought the best way to do that would actually be to go to a passage of the Bible together that I think does an awesome job of explaining where we're going with this series, and that is in Matthew chapter 9. So if you got your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and grab those, get those out, get out your smartphone or whatever it is that you use. If you have a Bible app, you can go ahead and get to Matthew chapter 9. Go ahead and find that. And if you don't have a Bible or you didn't bring a Bible of your own, uh, please feel free to take one of our Bibles that should be in the chairs underneath you. And those black Bibles, page 680, is where you're going to find Matthew. So feel free to use one of ours. And if you don't own a Bible, like if you don't own a physical copy of the Bible, please take one of ours. Okay, we'd love for you to have one of our Bibles. So Matthew 9 you can go ahead and find that. Now, as you're locating that, and I'll meet you there in just a moment, let me kind of start off uh, this whole series and kind of introduce the topic today uh, with a little story, okay? So once upon a time, uh, back when I was in kindergarten, so a long, long time ago, I had a kindergarten teacher. Her name was Mrs. Hari, and she was actually a really great teacher and made a big impact on my life. She was an incredible uh, lady. But one of the things that she did in her class, um, which I don't think kindergarten teachers do anymore. In fact, I talked to a kindergarten teacher last night after services, and she told me that, no, in fact, they don't do this anymore. But she did this thing, and it was, I called it the gold star system, the gold star system. And essentially, here's how it worked in her classrooms. Every morning, you would come into her class, and at the beginning of every day, she would have written on the board the names of all of the students, okay? So all the students' names were written on the board, and we all started with a blank slate. And then throughout the course of the day, if you would do good things, right, so if you would help in class, if you would, you know, answer the question, right, or whatever, you would get a gold star. And so she would put a gold star next to your name. So if you did something good, if you answered the question right, you know, whatever, you get a gold star. And so over the course of the day, you could amass gold stars for yourself. And then if you did something bad, like if you were being mischievous or not paying attention or whatever, she would take a star away from you. And so all day long, you kind of had there in front of you sort of like your rankings, like how you were doing. And you kind of see that 
in your behavior and all those kind of things. Now, what was interesting about Mrs. Hari is not only would she do the, the star system, but she actually took it to the next level. And so if you were ever in a position where you didn't have any stars or you lost all your stars, which just to be honest was me most days, um, she would give you then red checks. And so if you did bad things, you would get red checks. So if you were, you know, being disruptive or talking to your friends, which that was usually my thing, you would get red checks. If you did something real bad, she would take away all your gold stars and just give you red checks. And that's kind of how this whole thing worked. Now, th at the end of the day, the way that this whole system panned out was that each day she would end the class by taking us to a playroom. And there was this playroom at our school, and it had every toy that a kindergartner would desire. And all of the gold star kids, if you ended the day with any gold stars, you got to play in the playroom. But if you were a red check kid, you had to sit on the outskirts and watch the gold star kids play, which was kind of torturous, you know? But I think it was effective because I actually remember the psychological effect this had on me as a child, because I remember I would come into the classroom every morning, and I remember I would, I would see my name on the board, and I would, I would be so motivated, and I would be so determined to make it a gold star day. And so I remember I'd come in, and I would see it up there, and I'd be like, it's going to be a gold star day. We're going to make it happen. I'm going to make Mrs. Hari love me today. It's gonna, I'm going to do it. And, and what I noticed was on my good days, so on the best days, on the days when I got a lot of gold stars, I noticed something would start happening. And so I would come in and I'd be motivated and I'd start getting gold stars. And as I got more gold, gold stars, I got more motivated, right? And I would think to myself, man, you know what? I'm actually pretty good at this. I'm actually pretty good at being good. And so I would, I would actually go out of my way to do good things. And I would be like, oh, oh I'll, I'll help you or I'll answer the question, right? And I would do things just so Mrs. Hari would see me. And I would do it and Mrs. Hari would say, oh, Anthony, you've done such a good job, which she called me Anthony and you are never allowed to, okay? That's just the rule. But she would be like, you've done such a good, and she would give me gold stars. And I remember I started to think about myself, and I'm like, you know, I'm a gold star kid. That's the kind of kid that I am. And I actually used to, I actually got to the place where I would actually start looking at other kids, and I would start comparing myself to them, and I would actually look at the board, and it, to me, it actually became like a scoreboard. And I started to think to myself, not just that I wanted to get gold stars, but now I wanted to win, and I was like, I want to get the most gold stars. And I would talk to other kids, and I'd be like, how many gold stars you got today? And they'd be like, well, I got two gold stars. And I'd be like, oh, two, that's cute. And I remember I remember when I had two, that was a good time. Maybe one day you'll be good enough to join the five gold star crew or whatever it was, you know. And, and then at the end of the day, whenever I was having a really good day and I'd get to the playroom, I remember I'd look at the red check kids, and I'd pity them. And I would think to myself, those red check kids, those poor red check kids, they'll never amount to anything in life. Right? Once a red check, always a red check. That's what I say. And that was kind of the way, maybe not exactly that way, but I would think something like that. Now, now I also noticed that on my bad days, when I would end the day with red checks, in full disclosure, okay, as a kid, I was not a very well-behaved kid. And so most of my days ended with red checks. That's kind of how my day ended. But I would notice something. I would notice that I would come into class, and I'd be really motivated, and I'd be really determined to get gold stars, and then somewhere over the course of the day, somewhere over the course of the day, when I began to lose stars and I began to get red checks, somewhere throughout the course of the day, I just remember I would just give up. And I would just think to myself, you know what? I don't want to play this game anymore. I don't care. For, I can't seem to get enough gold stars anyway, so I don't even care anymore. And I would just kind of give up. I kind of give up on the whole thing. And then at the end of the day, when I was sitting on the outskirts watching the gold star kids play, I remember I used to think to myself, you know what? I don't even like those kids. I don't really like them anyway. They're so self-righteous. They think they're better than me. 
those pious, pharisaical, gold star kids. You know, I like hanging out with the red check kids anyway. These are my people, right? And I would kind of, maybe not exactly like that, but something like it. Now, why do I, I tell you that story? Okay, so here's why I tell you that. Because if you can relate to that or identify with that in any way, if you've ever had an experience that was similar to that, or if you can understand that experience, here's what I've found, okay? I have found that in my time of being a Christian, so I, I started to follow Jesus when I was about 17 years old, and what I have found is that in my time of being a Christian, that it is easy, in fact, that it, it happens often, that sometimes those of us who follow Jesus can, can, can begin approaching following Jesus with this same mentality, right? That we can start to kind of look at following Jesus like this gold star and red check system. You, you know what I'm talking about? Like this kind of thing where we might think to ourselves, man, if I, if I do the right things, if I do the right things, then God is going to be you know, he's going to be happy with me and he's going to approve me. And so if I, if I pray and I read my Bible every day, then I'm going to get a gold star. God's going to give me a gold star. God's going to be happy with me. He's going to be pleased with me. And that's kind of how it works. If I go to church, right, if I go, especially if I go to church the week after Christmas, which is like going to church twice in a week, like you should get two gold stars. All of you, by the way, get two gold stars here today for being here, right, or whatever. And so, so it's like if I do the right things, and I do the things that God, if I pray and I read my Bible and I'm nice to people and I, you know, I'm, I'm kind and I give, then, you know, I get, gold, I get gold stars. But if I do bad things, like if I, you know, if I cheat or I lie or I get in a fight with my spouse or I lose my temper, well, then I get red checks. And God's like displeased with me. And all of a sudden, I, you know, I'm not good with God. And if I get enough gold stars, then I'm kind of approved by other people and I'm approved by God and I belong. But if I get red checks, then I guess I don't. And I'm kind of out, right? I kind of don't get to be part of the rest of it. And I have found that it is easy. I found in my own life, it's easy sometimes to approach following Jesus this way. Now, here's the thing. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And some of you, maybe you kind of grew up in the church and you've seen this in yourself. You've seen this maybe in your experience that, uh, that it's kind of felt this way, right? If I do all the right things, then God is gonna be happy with me. He's gonna be approved. If I do all the wrong things, then he's gonna kind of be mad at me or whatever, and there's gonna be distance with Some of you, some of you, maybe you, this is the reason why you never got involved in a church. Maybe you're here today. You're not usually a church person, but someone invited you or someone kind of had you come out. And this is the whole reason why you're not. Because you're like, you know what? It just seems like it's all a bunch of, you know, hypocrites and gold star people who are trying to do better things and show that they're better than everybody else. And I'm just not interested in that at all. Or maybe you're a person who's in this room and you used to be a church person, but you dropped out. And the reason you dropped out for a long time was because of this. And, and for a while, you were really motivated. You were like, yeah, I'm gonna go to church. And I'm gonna do the right thing. I'm gonna get my life together. I'm gonna do it. But then you couldn't keep it up. And you started to like, fall back into some old patterns or whatever, and you got to a place where you said, you know what, I can't do it anyway, so why, why do I even try? So I quit, I drop out, I don't wanna play anymore, I don't wanna play anymore. You know what, even if that means that one day I go to hell, that's fine with me, because at least there, I'll be with people that I like and people that I know, because usually the gold star people are much more boring than the red check people anyway, am I right? And, and, and so sometimes we can kind of fall in us. Now, here's why I'm so excited about this series, because in this series, what we're going to do is we actually want to try to give a very clear explanation of what it really means to follow Jesus. And our hope is to give a really clear definition of what it is that Jesus is actually inviting us into. And I believe with all of my heart that what Jesus is actually inviting us into is nothing like this. It's nothing like this. In fact, I believe that what Jesus is calling us into, all of us, by the way, no matter where you are 
in your, you know, background with church, background with Jesus. Back, I believe that what Jesus is calling us into is not only not this, I think it is so much better, so much deeper, and so much more profound than this. So let me, let me show you what I'm talking about. And that's why I had you go to Matthew chapter 9, because I think this passage is going to give us a very clear explanation of what it is that Jesus is calling us into. Now, before we look at Matthew 9, let me just give you a small amount of background on Matthew. Okay, so the book that I had you open up to in the Bible is, is the book of Matthew. It's sometimes called a gospel. And if you're not familiar with what that is, it's actually one of four. Matthew is actually one of four first century eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus. And so it's one of the earliest documents that we have that records for us the life, the teaching of Jesus Christ. So that's what's in the book of Matthew. Now, Matthew was written by a guy named Matthew. That's why it's called Matthew. And a little bit about this guy, Matthew was actually a disciple of Jesus. And so he was a man who followed Jesus. He was a man who would have spent time with Jesus, heard his teachings. He was with Jesus during his ministry and all those types of things. So Matthew was an eyewitness to the life of Jesus, and he writes about Jesus, okay? And actually, the Gospel of Matthew is the book that we're going to be going through for this entire series. So this whole series, Jesus Come and See, we are going to be looking at the life and teaching of Jesus according to Matthew, an eyewitness first century account of his life. Now, what I, the reason we're starting in Matthew chapter 9 and not in Matthew chapter 1 is because in Matthew chapter 9, we actually see something very interesting. And I believe that Matthew chapter 9 explained to, explains to us in many ways the, the whole reason Matthew wrote the book of Matthew. And I think it also explains to us the whole reason we're doing this series, and it clearly defines for us what Jesus is inviting us into. And so I want to show you what I'm talking about, because what we're going to find in Matthew 9 is we're going to see Matthew writing about his first interaction with Jesus. And so Matthew is going to write about himself. So let's look at this together. Matthew 9, starting off in verse 9. It says, as Jesus went on from there, so Jesus was already doing his ministry and gaining a reputation. The Bible says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named, so check this out, named Matthew, who was sitting at the tax collector's booth. So how cool is this? Matthew is writing about Matthew. He's like, hey, look, that's me. I made the Bible. Hey, guys. Right there. So he's right there. So he's writing about himself. And Matthew, he, obvi he obviously wants us to know something about him because he writes about himself in this story and he writes about his first interaction with Jesus. And what he tells us about himself might not seem like a lot at first glance, but I want you to see that what Matthew is telling us is actually a whole lot about himself because here's what he says, that when Jesus first met him, when Jesus first interacted with Matthew, Matthew was sitting at the tax collector's booth, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, this is a very important little detail right here, okay? Why was Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth? Here's why. He was a tax collector. And some of you are like, you went to seminary for this. And I'm like, yes, I did. Matthew was a tax collector. Now, again, this is, it might not seem like a lot, but when Matthew says that he was sitting at the tax collector's booth when Jesus first met him, he is actually telling us a whole lot. In fact, that detail right there would have been deeply significant to the first century hearer. And so let me kind of explain it this way. I did, some, I did some research on this this past week about tax collectors. Now, what some of you might know about tax collectors is, in fact, my guess is even if you're not a Bible person, you probably have heard this, that in the first century, tax collectors, uh, they were a group of people um, who had an occupation that had a very bad reputation. 
And so uh, they, were, they were hated, they were ostracized, specifically by the religious community. Tax collectors were hated. In fact, even if you're not a Bible person, you might know this. Tax collectors were almost always associated with and synonymous with another group of people. And so oftentimes when you read the Bible, it says blank and tax collectors or tax, tax collectors and, do you know what it is? Sinners, right? You got it, sinners. Yeah. Tax collectors and sinners. So in the Bible, tax collectors are almost always associated with sinners, and so they would have been ostracized, a hated community. And there's reasons why. In fact, I, I cannot emphasize to you enough how hated tax collectors would have been. So let me kind of explain a little bit. I was reading a historian. His name is Alfred Edersheim. And he is a, he is a first century um, Jewish historian. And what uh, he studies first century Jewish history is probably a better way to say it. And he was explaining tax collectors. And he said, if, and basically what he said was this. If there was a, a more hated group of people than tax collectors, it would be hard to find. And there was a lot of reasons for that. So if back in this time you had gold star people and you had red check people, the tax collectors would have been the ultimate red check people, right? And for a number of reasons. So first and foremost, they would have had one red check against them because tax collectors would have been viewed as traitors. They were viewed as traitors. They were viewed as people who had betrayed their, their government and their, their country and betrayed God himself, betrayed religion and betrayed country. That was true of tax collectors. And here's why. Without getting too much into the history, uh, during uh, first century Israel, during the times of first central Israel, the Jewish people were ruled by the Romans. So the Romans occupied Israel during this period of time. And there was such an incredible hatred um, of the Roman people from the Jewish people because the Romans oppressed the Jews. And so they were very, very oppressive to the Jewish people. And so whenever they would come to gather taxes from the Jews, so the Romans would put these heavy, heavy taxes on the Jewish people. And whenever the Romans would come to collect taxes, what they would do is they would actually hire Jewish tax collectors. So they would hire Jewish men to be tax collectors, to go kind of collect the taxes for Rome. And so if a Jewish man was a tax collector, which is what Matthew was, that was actually viewed as betrayal. Uh, you were betraying your country. You were working for the Romans. You were working for the enemy. Now, now, again, just to emphasize the incredible tension that existed back in this time, let me show you a picture. This is actually a first century coin that would have been used um, that the Roman government would have made the Jewish people use. This was the currency they were forced to use. This would have been a common coin, and I just want you to notice because I think this highlights some of the tension. On the front side of this coin, on the head side, you see a picture of Caesar. And it says, imperial lord of the, of the world. So the Romans actually believed that the Caesars were among the gods. And this, of course, this would have been considered heresy to the Jewish person. The Jews believed there was one god and it was not Caesar. And so this would have been trouble for them. And then on top of that, if you look at the backside, it says the victory of Augustus. And I don't know if you can make this out, but on it, there's a depiction of a Roman soldier and he has his boot on the back of a Jewish man who is kneeling down. And this, again, this is just highlighting the oppressive nature of the Romans over the Jews. So this was the money that the Jewish people were forced to use by the Romans. It was a constant, when you would go to pay your taxes, you would use this currency. It was a constant reminder to you of Romans, the, the Roman oppression um, that, was, that was kind of on top of you. So, so if you were a tax collector, you had one check against you. You were considered a traitor. But not only that, not only were they considered traitors, they were also considered criminals. Tax collectors by the religious community were considered criminals. And the reason was because they practiced extreme extortion. 
And so they, would, they were notorious for being dishonest. They would upcharge your taxes and then they would keep, the, keep whatever the overhead was for themselves. Tax collectors would have been filthy rich. Matthew, most likely, would have been an unbelievably wealthy man, but he got his money in a very dishonest way. It was through lying and cheating and overtaxing people. In fact, the religious community viewed tax collectors as such criminals that tax collectors, according to the Talmud, which was kind of like the Jewish law, they weren't even allowed to come to the synagogue. They weren't even allowed to worship at the synagogue. They were not even allowed to, to testify in court. Their testimony was not considered viable in court because they were known to be liars. On top of all that, tax collectors, their money, they weren't even allowed to give to charity because their money was considered like dirty money. So tax collectors, two checks against them, they were considered just bad people. Now, here's what I thought was so interesting. Edersheim, the historian I was mentioning to you, he actually goes on to explain to us that in the first century, there was more than one kind of tax collector. And so you had one kind of tax collector who was kind of like your general tax collector, like he would, he would kind of collect your standard taxes, so things like um, you know, income tax, poll tax, land tax. That guy was called a gabai. That's what they called him. He was a gabai tax collector, which I love that, by the way, because isn't that exactly what you think when you pay your taxes? That's what I think. I'm like, goodbye. There goes my money. It's gone. And so those guys were called gabais. And they were hated, for sure, hated, because they were, they were liars and thieves and they were, they were traitors. But there was another classification of tax collectors, and these guys were called the moques, all right? Now, the moques, they would actually collect additional taxes. And so get this, listen carefully. They would set up tax booths in very strategic locations. So they would set up a tax booth, like, at a port, or by a road, or by a bridge, and then they would tax you on those things. They would tax you on a road, or on a bridge, they would tax you on how many axles you had on your car. They were actually legally allowed to tax you on whatever they wanted to. They had the Roman government at their back, and they could tax you for whatever. In fact, I was reading one article, and they said of a moques, a moques was actually legally allowed, if you were walking past their, their tax booth, they were legally allowed to go through your mail, if you were carrying mail, and if they read about any business dealing, they could tax tax you on it. And so these guys, these guys were hated, but these guys were like extra hated. Okay, the moques were like three, man, three red checks against them. They were bad. The way I think about a moques, do you guys ever go to, uh, to Cedar Point and buy a Coke for like $45? And then you're just like, you're in fury. You're like, how is this? Oh, it's, this, is a, this is so criminal. That was these guys. Okay, that was the moques. It's like the modern day equivalent. Now, here's what's even more interesting. Of the moques, get this, there was two, there was two classifications. So you had a group of people called the Great Mokes. Okay, now the Great Mokes, also called the Chief Mokes, or the Chief Tax Collectors. So uh, if you've ever heard of Zacchaeus, he was a Chief Tax Collector. Okay, those guys, the Great Mokes, they, they were Mokes, but they understood that this was so despised and it was so hated and it had such a bad reputation attached to it, they would actually hire somebody else to sit behind the booth for them. So as a way of trying to save face and remain incognito and try to, you know, make sure that they weren't, they would kind of hire someone else to do the dirty work for them. They were called the great moques. But there was another kind of moques. They were called the small moques. And the small moques were men who would actually sit behind the table themselves. And they were either, you know, too cheap to pay someone to sit behind the booth for them, or they were too unconcerned with their reputation to care but they would sit behind the booth themselves, and they were by far the most hated of them all. In fact, the, this crew was so hated, 
uh, Jewish rabbis actually, they actually talk about in the Talmud that if you were a small mokes, that you were beyond the point of repentance, that you could not be forgiven by God. You had gone too far, too many red checks for you. This was a group of people, some, commenta- some commentators said, this would have been the most hated person among the groups of people, of the most hated people in Israel. Now, let me ask you a question real quick. When we first meet Matthew, where is he? What does the Bible tell us? Look at this. He's sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, that might seem like a small detail, but that tells us a whole lot about Matthew. What is Matthew trying to tell us about himself when he first met Jesus? Here's what he's trying to tell us. He wasn't just a tax collector. He was a mokes, and he wasn't just a mokes. He was a small mokes. He wants us to know that he was among the most hated of all people in all of the country of Israel, that he would have been someone who was ostracized and someone who is, you know, disenfranchised and would have been someone who was excommunicated by the religious community. He would have been a person who religious leaders and rabbis and the church system and all that would have told him that you're not welcome here, you're not part of you, you, are, you, are, you have gone too far and you are beyond the point of repentance. That's, that's the kind of guy he was. And he wants us to know this about him when he first meets Jesus. And so now Jesus comes along. Now, before we look at what Jesus says to Matthew, because I think what Jesus says to Matthew is so, so, so important. But before we look at that, I want you just to think about this for a minute with me. This is Matthew chapter nine. And what that means is there's eight chapters before this where we see that Jesus is building his ministry. He's growing in reputation. He's amassing a following for himself. And so it's very probable by this point, Matthew has heard of Jesus, very probable. You know, the area that Jesus lived and dwelled in and did his ministry was very small. So Matthew certainly heard of Jesus. He had heard of him before. And what did Matthew know about Jesus? Well, I don't know what he knew about him, but I can guess he probably knew Jesus was a rabbi, a very popular rabbi, who was amassing quite a following for himself. He taught in the synagogues. Some people thought that he was incredible. Some people even worshiped him and thought that he was the Messiah. And so now Matthew sees Jesus and he knows that Jesus is, you know, a rabbi. And what does Matthew know about rabbis? Well, rabbis are the guys who tell him that it's not possible for him to ever be in with them because he's gone too far. And Jesus comes up to Matthew. Now look at this. Jesus comes up to Matthew. He sees him sitting at the tax collector. He is sitting at the tax collectors. We all know what that means. And look what Jesus says to him. Follow me, he told him. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and he followed him. Now, I I love the simplicity of Matthew. Matthew doesn't ways to words. He says it very simply, but I want you to understand that what he says right here is so powerful because here's the thing. Jesus shows up and he sees Matthew and Matthew is sitting behind the tax collector's booth. Like I said, we all know what that means. And Jesus, who's a you know, Jewish rabbi and is teaching in the synagogues and people are thinking he's the Messiah, he sees Matthew. And rather than, you know, shooting a glare at him, or rather than, you know, making a look of disgust at him and, and walking as far away as possible on the other side of the road from him, right? Or rather than, like, lecturing him and saying, like, Matthew, I hope you, you know, I hope you're proud of yourself. Your mama, she must be so upset with you. And Rather than telling him, you know what, Matthew, you've really messed up, and this is what you need to do to get your life together. What Jesus does is he offers Matthew an invitation. He goes right up to Matthew. He says, you. Come with me. Follow me. Follow me. And you gotta understand, this, this would have been so 
surprising to everybody. We're going to find out in a minute it was very surprising to the religious leaders. But it would have been surprising to the disciples. And I think above all, it was probably most surprising to Matthew. Here's Matthew, a guy who is told that he has too many red checks to ever be part of the club. He can never be right with God. And here comes Jesus, and he goes right up to him, probably looks at him right in the eye. And he says to him, Matthew, follow me. Come with me. I'm, I'm guessing Matthew's probably like, you talking to me? And he's like, yeah, you, come on. Come on, come with me. Now listen, it, let's pause here for a minute because as simple as that might sound, as simple as this might sound, I believe that the invitation that Jesus extends to Matthew is the clearest explanation of what Jesus is calling everybody into. Everybody, follow me. Two simple words, follow me. In other words, let me put it this way. When Jesus sees Matthew, he doesn't call Matthew into a set of behaviors. He doesn't call Matthew into a system of beliefs. He calls Matthew into a dynamic pursuit of a relationship. He says, Matthew, follow me. Follow right where you're at, get up, and I want you to follow me. In other words, let me put it this way. Jesus doesn't come up to Matthew with a book of rules, like he doesn't have a book of rules, and then throw it at Matthew and say, follow this. That's not what he does. He's not like, hey, Matthew, follow that. And there, there you go. And if you can get that right, and if you can do all those things right, then maybe you can be associated with me, you can be part of my crew, and then maybe one day you can be my disciple. That's not what he says. He doesn't say that. He doesn't point at a gold star chart and say, follow that, Matthew. And if you, you got a lot of red checks, buddy, but let me just tell you, if you can start doing some good stuff and if you can start, you know, loving people and, and, and you know, not being, you know, not cheating and not stealing, then eventually you'll be good enough. And if you behave in all the right ways, then you can be one of my disciples and then you can kind of come and you can follow me. That's not what he says. His invitation to Matthew sitting behind the tax collector's booth is follow me. Get up right where you're at. Come on, come on. Come on and follow me. And I think, man, I think that this is simple as it might sound. This clearly defines for us what I believe Jesus is calling every single one of us into. The dynamic pursuit of Jesus. Follow me. Follow me. See, I want you to understand this. So listen to me carefully, okay? Because some of you maybe have never heard this before. So look up here for a minute. Christianity at its center, at its core, at its foundation is not about following a set of beliefs. It's not what it is. It's not about adhering to a system of beliefs, not at its core. At its center, Christianity is not about following a set of behaviors, doing the right thing and not doing the wrong thing, not at its core. Christianity at its center is about following a person. It's about following Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that that eventually isn't gonna change your beliefs and alter your behaviors, but at its core, at its center, Christianity is about a dynamic pursuit of a person, and that person is Jesus. And so Jesus looks at Matthew and he says, follow me. We're gonna talk about that more in a minute, but let me show you how the story ends. So Jesus, Jesus looks at Matthew, two simple words, follow me. The Bible says Matthew gets up and says, okay, where are we going? <laughs> I love this next thing, look at this. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, isn't that great? Jesus is like, follow me, Matthew. He's like, where are we going? He's like, your house. You're making me dinner. That's where I'm going. I still want to try that, by the way. You need to try that today on someone. Be like, hey, come with me. Where are we going? Your house. You're cooking, right? Steaks. 
Browns game at your house, right? So, so Jesus is like, yeah, I, but I think this is cool. So look at this. Jesus says, follow me. And Matthew's like, where are we going? And he doesn't say, we're going to the synagogue. We're going to the church function. <laughs> he said, we're going to your house. We're going to your house. And we're going to eat some dinner together. By the way, in the first century, some of you guys might know this, eating a meal with somebody was basically associating and identifying with somebody. And so Jesus says, I'm going to your house and we're going to eat your food and we're going to have a meal together. Very relational, very relational. And so Jesus takes him here. Now watch this, I love this. Apparently Matthew was really excited about this. So he calls up all his buddies because the Bible says many, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with Jesus and his disciples. So now you got Jesus and his disciples hanging out and now there's a bunch of tax collectors and sinners there. And I can't help but wonder if the disciples, you know, I don't know what they were like. I'm guessing they were probably sitting there like, uh, Jesus, is this cool? I don't know if this is kosher. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my hands right now. Can we leave? And there's like many tax collectors and sinners there and they're all hanging out. And listen, let me just kind of, this is a little bit of an aside here. Um, and it's probably another sermon for another day. But I want you to notice something here that it's actually a, a theme that you see all throughout the gospels. And I think it's beautiful. Do you ever notice how many times that people who are nothing like Jesus throughout the Bible wanted to be with him? You ever noticed that before? People who are nothing like, I mean, Jesus is a Jewish rabbi. He's a religious teacher. People who are nothing like Jesus wanted to be with him. And I think, I think that says something about Jesus. I think it says something, about, I don't know. I think it says something about what it must have been like to be with him, something about his generosity, something about his kindness, something about his humility. It probably said something about his honesty, his truthfulness. Jesus spoke truth. He didn't mince words. And yet there was something about him that even people who disagreed with him and even people who weren't like him, man, they wanted to be with him. They wanted to be near him. And I think that that doesn't just say something about Jesus. I think it also says something for those of us who follow Jesus about maybe the kind of church we ought to be, maybe the kind of life groups we ought to have. That's a different sermon for a different day. So Jesus is hanging out with these people. And so watch what happens next. The Bible says as he's doing this, this, this whole thing is happening, uh, he's being watched. So verse 11, when the Pharisees, oh no, not these guys. When the Pharisees saw this, now why did the Pharisees see this? It's because they were watching, right? So apparently they had nothing better to do that day. So they're across the street with the binoculars and they're watching Jesus hang out with the sinners and tax collectors. So when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples. They didn't even ask Jesus. They went to his disciples and they asked him, they said, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? So, so the Pharisees were like, why is he hanging out with them? With those people. Now, just real quick, if you don't know anything about the Pharisees, uh, here's the best definition of them, okay? They were like the gold star crew, all right? They were the ones who, uh, they were like the professional do-gooders. These were the guys who thought that it was because of their good works and their adherence to the law that they would be accepted by God. They were the ones who never missed church. They were the ones who always did the right thing. They were very good. And by the way, they were really good at being good. They were better than anyone else. They were totally the, the gold star crew. That's who they would have been. And so the Pharisees were confused by Jesus because here they saw Jesus who also was a rabbi, who also was a teacher of the law and he was hanging out with all these red check people. And they were like, why is he hanging out with them? And then apparently Jesus overheard this comment because look at what Jesus says. On hearing this, Jesus said, very, very famous verse. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. It's not the healthy that need a doctor. It's the sick. 
And then he said, but go and learn what this means. And then, this, by the way, it's been so insulting to say to a Pharisee. Pharisees spent their entire lives learning about the Old Testament. And he says, go and learn what this means. And he quotes from the Old Testament. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And then he clarifies even further. For I have not come to call the righteous. I have not come to call the righteous. I have come to call the sinner. I haven't come for the healthy I've come for the sick. Now, now let me just clarify real quick here, by the way, what Jesus is not saying. Because some people have misunderstood this verse, and they, they, what they think it means is that Jesus looks at the Pharisees and says, you guys are really good, and you're really healthy, and these sinners are really bad, and they're really unhealthy, and they need a doctor, and you guys are healthy, and they're sick, so you don't need me, but they do. That is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus isn't saying, if you're good enough, you don't actually need me. But if you're, you know, a bad person and you're sinful, then you need me. That's not what he's saying. Jesus is actually speaking ironically, and he's using sarcasm here. And essentially what he's saying is this. He's saying to the Pharisees, listen, if you think that it is by your good works and your good behavior that somehow you're going to earn favor with God, if you think that you're just going to amass a certain amount of gold stars and that is going to earn you acceptance into a relationship with God, He's saying you're never going to see that you're sick. And if you never see that you're sick, you're never going to see your need for me. You're never going to see, because I have come not to collect the righteous. I've not come to collect the gold star crew. I've come for the sinners. I've come for those who know that they're sick. And so what is that telling us? Well, here's what it's telling us. Jesus is telling us who he's inviting. And who is he inviting? He's inviting everyone to come just like they are to follow him. How dumb would it be? How dumb would it be if I was sick? Like, let's say I had like a really bad sinus infection or something and I was at home and I was like been sick for like 10 days and my wife, you know, she's like, babe, you gotta go to the doctor. You're really, you're in really bad shape. And I was like, I know, I gotta go to the doctor, but you know what? Let me just get better first. And after I get better, then I'll go to the doctor. My wife would be like, you need to see a different kind of doctor. You need to see like a psychologist because you're crazy, right? See, that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, how dumb would that be? I'm inviting you just as you are start coming into a relationship with me because I've come, not for, the, not for the healthy, but for the sick. You see, I believe that this passage, Matthew's explanation of who he was when he first met Jesus, I believe that it has incredible implications for all of us in this room. And I think it clarifies for us what it is that Jesus is calling every single one of us into. Whether you're a person that would say that you're a Christian or you're a person that wouldn't identify yourself that way. In fact, let me just talk to you for a minute. If you're a person that would not identify as a Christian, maybe you're investigating Jesus, maybe you have doubts, maybe you're skeptical. Right? And if that's the case, by the way, we say this all the time, we are so thankful that you would let us be part of that investigation. You could, you could let anyone speak into that. And the fact that you would allow us to do that, we, we count it as a privilege. But let me just tell you, I believe what Matthew is telling us, I believe that what this whole series is telling you, I believe that what Jesus is saying is he is offering you an invitation. And here's the invitation I believe that you're offered. Just follow me. I think Jesus would look at you if you're skeptical, if you would say you don't believe, if you're investigating, and I think he would say, follow me. Follow me. And some of you might be thinking to yourself, yeah, but I don't even know if I believe it. I mean, I'm skeptical, and I don't, you know, I, I hear you guys talking about Jesus being the son of God, and I'm not even sure I know about all that kind of thing. And Jesus would say, yeah, it's fine. Just come on. Come on. Follow me. Some of you are like, yeah, but you don't know who I am. I'm not a church person. 
I, I, I'm not like, I mean, you guys are, you guys are all, you guys all have it all put together in here, which by the way, that is the biggest lie ever, right? You guys are messed up. I know you guys, you know, and me too, right? We are a bunch of sick people, but you're like, man, I, you, you don't know where, you don't know where I've been. You don't know where I was last night. If you knew what I was doing last night, I got to get a little better first and then I can come to Jesus. Jesus would say, no, 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 follow me. Come on. Let's go. You know, one of my favorite things about the Gospels, when you read through the Gospels, you will see that Jesus extends this invitation to every class of people. Do you see Jesus asking religious, irreligious, sinners and tax collectors, self-righteous people? He's asking everyone, follow me, follow me. This invitation, he extends to everyone. Come on and follow me. You know another way he says it? Another way that Jesus puts it in the Bible? Sometimes he says, come and see. Come and see. Come follow me. Come and see. There's one occasion. There's a guy named Nathaniel. And Nathaniel was skeptical of Jesus. He heard about Jesus and people were all excited. Some people thought he was the Messiah. And Nathaniel was like, Jesus is from Nazareth. He's like, is anything, can anything good come from Nazareth? He was skeptical. And do you know what the invitation to him was? Just come on and see. Just come and see. Follow me. I know, I know you got doubts. I know you're skeptical. I know, I know what, where you, Matthew, I know who you are. I know what you've been doing. Come with me. Follow me. And this is the invitation that I believe Jesus is extending to everyone, even if you're a person that would say that you're investigating him. In fact, I think this invitation is the difference between religion and between Jesus. Because here's what religion says. Religion says, if you will change, then you can follow. That's what religion says, right? If you would just behave the right way and if you would just believe the right things and if you would just act like us and look like us and be like us, then you can follow, right? If you would just get enough gold stars, then eventually you can earn your way to having a relationship with Jesus and eventually get to heaven. That's kind of how it works. But that's what religion says, but that's not what Jesus says. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, if you follow, then you'll change. It's the other order. Come and follow me. I've come for the sick, not for the healthy. And so if you follow me, you're going to change. You're going to change. And eventually, it's going to transform you. This is where it all starts. So this is the invitation. If you're a person investigating Jesus, this is the invitation of this series. Come and see. Follow him. Look at his life. Let me just say a couple things, by the way, about this invitation. Number one, being a sinner does not disqualify you from following Jesus. In fact, it's the only prerequisite. And so if you're like, man, I have really just, I, you got to understand, I am so far, you don't know where I've been, you don't know what I've done. I don't need to know where you've been. I have to tell you that there is no amount of red checks that you could get in this life that would exclude you from this invitation that Jesus is extending to you to come and see. The other thing I want to mention about this invitation to you is that you don't even necessarily need to believe everything to start following Jesus. Some of you are like, well, I don't know if I believe. I'm skeptical, and I got all these doubts about the Bible. I don't know if I can follow. Listen, none of Jesus' disciples believed that he was the son of God before they started following him. And so you can start following. You can come and see now. Listen, for some of you, maybe you're here today, and you have, or maybe you're watching online, and maybe you have rejected Jesus. You have rejected religion outright. But let me just ask you, have you ever looked at Jesus yourself? Have you ever looked at his teaching? Have you ever observed his life? Have you ever dug in? Do you even know what you're rejecting? Because maybe for some of you, what you're actually rejecting is you're rejecting the version of Jesus that your parents gave you or you're rejecting the version of Jesus that you saw in the media or the version of Jesus that you experienced, but you've actually never come and saw him for yourself. So the invitation is to follow him, to look at his life, look at his teaching for yourself. Come and see.
come and see. And listen, for those of us who follow Jesus, for those of us in this room who would say we're Christians, I believe this invitation is equally as important. And the reason it's important is because it reminds us and it recenters us on what Christianity is really all about. It's about a dynamic pursuit of a relationship with. Listen, why is it that we do this? Why are we here Sunday morning gathering? Why do we do life groups? Is it because we're trying to be better people? Is it because we're trying to earn more gold stars and become more upright citizens and moral? No, the the reason we do this is because we're trying to grow in a dynamic pursuit of Jesus. That's why we're here. We're a community that's centered around a person and following a person. And we're here to help each other do that, not to compare ourselves to each other and who's doing better. It's just about following him, about following Christ. And I think that when we understand that, when we understand that this is at the center of what it means to follow Jesus is to be in a dynamic pursuit of a person, I think it forces us to ask a really important question because sometimes I think we ask the wrong question. Sometimes this is the question that we ask. Are you a Christian? Am I a Christian? And I actually don't think this is a great question. And I'll tell you why I don't think this is a great question because you can answer this question a lot of different ways. So if I asked you, are you a Christian? Some of you might say, yes, I'm a Christian. And if I said, well, tell me, how do you know you're a Christian? You might tell me, well, I behave a certain way. I behave, I do these things and I don't do these things. I go to church and I pray and I give and I don't, you know, you know, whatever it is, drink, smoke, and chew, and go with girls that do, or whatever it is. So I, I, don't, I do these things, I don't do these things, and I'm a Christian. I vote this way. If I asked you, are you a Christian? You might say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I said, why? Well, how do you know that? Well, I adhere to this system of beliefs, and I believe point A, B, and C about this thing and that thing or whatever. If I asked you, are you a Christian? You know, you could tell me. You could say, yeah, I'm a Christian. When I was 12, I remember there was a preacher. He asked me if I wanted to go to hell, and I was like, no. And he said, then you should receive Jesus. So I prayed a prayer and I got my fire insurance and one day that's gonna kick in, whatever. And I'm just saying, I don't think that's a great question. You know what I think a better question is? I'm not following Jesus. I'm actually following Jesus. Because here's the scary thing about this question. It's very clarifying. And the scary thing is, it's possible to behave all the right ways and it's possible to believe all the right things. It's even possible to spend your whole life growing up in church and not be moving closer to Jesus. Miss the whole thing. The center of what we're doing is we're following a person. So the invitation in this series, this whole series, is an invitation to everybody to follow, to come and see. Come and see for yourself. Look at the life of Jesus. Look at the teaching. Deal with Jesus. I think as, and here's what I'm convinced of. I believe that if we do that, we will be changed. I think we will be changed. And I think that your behaviors will be challenged. And I think your beliefs will be shaken. But it's not gonna be because you're trying to earn something. It's gonna be because it's gonna flow out of a dynamic relationship of a pursuit of Jesus. So let me kind of tell you what's gonna happen. So after Matthew... Uh, follows Jesus. The Bible says he gets up, he follows him. His life is totally transformed. He leaves his former way of living and slowly and over time, his life is utterly transformed. Matthew eventually gets to a place where he becomes one of the most influential leaders in the early church. Matthew goes on to write the gospel of Matthew, which is the firsthand account of his interaction with Jesus. It's one of the earliest recorded historical accounts of the life of Jesus that we have. It's been instrumental in the growth of many people who begin to follow Jesus. And I believe this book is an invitation to you and I to follow him, to come and see the very thing that Matthew saw when he followed Jesus. Matthew actually went on after he wrote the gospel of 
of uh, Matthew, he went on, traveled around the world telling people about Jesus until eventually he was martyred in Ethiopia for his faith. He actually gave his life for this belief in who he believed that Jesus was. How did someone go from being a four-check tax collector to being one of the most influential people in the Christian movement? Well, it was because he followed. He took up the invitation and he was transformed along the way. So here's my challenge to you. I want to challenge you and invite you to come and see. In this series, we're going to look at the life and the teaching of Jesus together. And for some of you, this might be the first time you've actually done that. I believe that you'll be changed through the process. I want to challenge you to come back and join us for this series. Second challenge to you. One of the best ways that we can grow together in our relationship with Jesus is together. And I'm just telling you that, man, we are a community that is centered around that. We're centered around helping each other and spurring each other on to knowing a person. And so one of the best ways you can do that, by the way, we talk about it all the time. Your first time is get connected to a life group. The life groups are a great way to share life with people who are trying to spur one another on towards following Jesus. We are all different. We're at different places in our faith, but we're trying to do it together. I encourage you to do that. And then lastly, I want to mention something Clark mentioned earlier. And that is, if, if you want to jump in on this, I think it'd be really helpful. There's a 100-day reading plan that's called the Essential Jesus Reading Plan. And it goes through passages of scripture about Jesus. Every day, you get a different passage about Jesus, both Old and New Testament passages. So it's not just the book of Matthew, it's all over the place. But this is an awesome reading plan. It goes for 100 days, which is about the span of our series. You can access this on our Grace Church app. And you can start this, and it's just another way to pursue and get to know him, get to know Jesus. And so if you go to the Grace Church app, there's a description of the series, and there's some instructions on how to do that. But I'm excited about this journey together. And we'll follow him, and together we'll come and see. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, I do just want to say thank you for the very, very simple call. It, we, we overcomplicate it, quite honestly, so many times. We make it about behaving certain ways and believing the right things and who's doing the best and, and are, we, are we keeping it up. And I don't think that's what you ever intended for us. I think that what you've called us into is a dynamic relationship with you. I think about what you said about yourself. You said, I am the vine and you are the branches. You said that you are the shepherd and we are the sheep. And you said that you're a father and we're your children. And these are all relational terms. These all talk about a dynamic pursuit of a person. And so help us to return to that, God. Pray for those maybe today who are investigating you. I pray they'd accept this invitation to come and see. I pray they'd accept this invitation to follow you regardless of where they might be today. And for those of us who would say that, that we are Christians, that we do follow you, would you please just recenter us on this? That we would be in a growing, ever, you know, ever growing, uh, increased dependency on you, Jesus. And so I pray that as we leave from this place, that you'd encourage our hearts. We anticipate what you're gonna do through this series. I pray that you would change us and uh, we can't wait to see what you're gonna do. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.